I want you to take your copy of God's Word this morning so we can learn more about that grace that we've sung about today and we celebrate each and every day. It's not just grace that has saved us, but it's grace that sustains us as we navigate life. And we're in Ephesians chapter 1. We're studying the attributes of God, who our God is and what He's like. And it's important really to understand this this truth today, that God is gracious. He is gracious to us in so many ways. And it's that grace that is transforming your life and my life. And even as we gaze into the Word of God this morning, we want to hear a word from the gracious God because we need Him each and every day. We sang earlier the, the, the great hymn of the faith, Amazing Grace. But Do you know the history behind that great hymn of the faith? Because it's an old hymn. It was written back at the end of the 1700s. and In fact, it was in 1748 that a, a ship called the Greyhound was being thrashed about in the North Atlantic Ocean. And its canvas sails were ripped and the wood on the side of the ship was being torn away and splintered. And after a week, the sailors... They lost hope of survival and they thought, we're never going to get out of this. They kept manning the pumps and, and pumping the pumps to get the water out of the ship. And one of those sailors was John Newton. As John Newton was there, he got so exhausted at the pump that, that they put him at the helm of the ship. And, and they lashed him there to the helm and he said, keep it sailing straight. And so for, well, from one o'clock until midnight, he was lashed there. And, and he didn't have anywhere to go except to hold that that helm. And, and as he did, it gave him a lot of time to think. And to think because his life seemed like that storm and that ship in that storm. It was a battered life he was living. And he was trying to steer his life through the storms of life. And since the age of 11, he had been a, a sailor and had his life at sea. He, he was one who had a reputation for being profane, for being coarse, for being full of debauchery and his behavior was so bad that even the sailors were embarrassed and shocked by the things he would do. They, they, they called him the great blasphemer because he was so, uh, so uh, irreligious towards God. And as his life sank lower, he thought, there's no hope for me. My life is just like this ship in the sea. His mother had prayed for him and actually hoped that he would be a, a preacher. And, and as he was there, he recalls that, that he started thinking about what his mama had taught him and, and how she had woven the scriptures into his life at an early age. And, and from Proverbs chapter 1, she had taught him, Lady Wisdom is calling, she's speaking to everyone. And he recalled these verses in verses 24 through 31. Because I have called and you refused, you you, you have set at naught all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I will laugh at your calamity, Lady Wisdom said. I'll mock when, you fear, when your fear comes. And when your fear comes is desolation and destruction. When it comes as a whirlwind. And when distress and anguish come upon you, then you'll call upon me. But I will not answer. Newton said, that's how I felt. My life was miserable and I was certainly beyond hope. I had rejected my mother's teaching and instruction from, from the scriptures. I had rejected Lady Wisdom speaking to me. But then his thoughts began to think about Jesus. And, and, and he went and he found a New Testament and he began to read. And, and in Luke chapter 11, he found this verse of scripture that, that said, If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more shall your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? 
He began to think to himself, could good God really be good to me? And as he meditated on that, he remembered later in life, as he wrote in his journal, on that day the Lord sent from on high and delivered me out of deep waters. See, that's what God does, a gracious God. To those who are desperate, to those who realize, I need God's grace. God took this, this rude, profane slave trader and transformed him into a child of God. He snatched him out of the storms of his life and put him on solid ground. Newton surrendered to be a preacher and he preached for, for 43 years after that, preaching the gospel. And of course we know the wonderful hymn that he wrote, God's Amazing Grace. You see... He said, my memory is nearly gone, but one thing I will always remember, two things, that I am a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. You see, that's what grace is. It's greater than all our sins. So much greater. There's not a one of us in here today that doesn't need God's grace. And there's not a one of us in this room today that's beyond God's grace. God's grace can reach us today and snatch us out of the storms of life. But you have to make a choice. I have to make a choice. I have to respond to the, to the, to the life vest that God is sending to us, and that's Jesus. You, you have to put it on. You have to surrender. You have to yield to it. And the amazing thing is, is God can save wretched sinners. And I'm not just talking about John Newton. I'm talking about myself. Talking about you, talking about anybody, everybody. And anyone who's experienced that amazing grace, amen, praise God that it reaches us no matter how deep we may think we have sunk. You see, when you and I cry out, the master of the sea can hear our despairing cry. And from the waters can lift us so that we can say, safe am I. God wants you to experience that grace today. We're learning about it. In fact, that grace doesn't just save me. That grace sustains you and me each and every day. So much so, Paul would write later in, a, in another epistle, he would say, I am what I am simply by the grace of God. And I need the God's grace each and every day. I'm stumbling, falling short of the grace of God. How about you? I haven't arrived yet. I need God's grace. I need to know God is gracious. I need to, in fact, it's fascinating. When you really know God is gracious, that changes your whole ethic for living because your life of living is now a life of gratitude because God has graced us. If I have a misunderstanding of God's grace, then, then I might say, well, this is my license to keep sinning, but that's not what the Word of God teaches. Paul would say, may that never be. May we realize just the significance of who God is as a God that is gracious. What does it mean that God is gracious. What is grace? Well, if you've taught your, your kids the, the catechism or remember when you were young, you know grace is the unmerited favor of God. When we say what it is, we say something that it's not. It's not anything you and I do to merit God's favor, to receive God's favor. There's nothing good in you and me. There's nothing you and I can do that's good enough to experience this grace. God just freely gives it. In fact, God's graciousness is His demonstration of His favor, His kindness to those who are undeserving. Grace is, is, is God showing us favor, God showing us compassion, God giving it to those who really we get favor even though we're unfavorable. We're, we're accepted even when we were unacceptable. We, we are shown kindness even though we weren't deserving of kindness. We, we are blessed, even though we weren't worthy to be blessed. I mean, who am I? Who are you? Who are we to be graced by Almighty God? 
And yet his throne is a throne of grace. He freely gives it. It is possible for him to do that because of what we learned last week. God can be gracious to us, that is, give us what we don't deserve, and be merciful to us, not give us what we do deserve. We'll learn about mercy next week. And how can God give us those two things? Because He's righteous. The holy God can do that for sinful man because He's done the right thing at Calvary. And He can be both just and justifier. God can bless us in this way. And we should celebrate it each and every day. As God extends those mercies new every morning, that grace to sustain us each and every day. He gives that to us and we didn't deserve it. And here in Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to stand in a moment. We're going to read this because Paul just has a, he just has a spell, y'all. I mean, if you're an English teacher today and you had your students to uh, diagram this sentence, it goes from verse 3 all, to verse, all the way to verse 14. It's one sentence in the Greek. There's a lot to say. There's a lot to get excited about when you realize God has been gracious to you. And Paul's going to do it. He's going he's to tell us, listen, these are the blessings that God has extended to us. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all of them have graced us in an amazing way. So I want you to stand with me and honor the word of the Lord. I'm only going to read the section from verse 3 through verse 5 and work all the way down through verse 14 this morning. But may God just open our eyes, our ears, our hearts that we might realize today, man, we've been graced. And my response should be right. If I'm a lost sinner today and I need to be saved, then I need to realize God has reached towards me graciously and given me and offered me a free gift. And if I am saved and have received that gift, then I need to realize my life should be transformed. My life should be made, being made new because I'm responding in gratitude to the grace. I'm not taking it for granted, but I'm grateful for it. And when I really look into the Word this morning, not the into the mirror that God gives us and shows us who He is so that we know who we are. It's this grace that can transform any and every life before me. Paul writes this, and he's going to say this three times. He's going to talk about the blessings of God right here. Oh, you're blessed to be graced. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Father in heaven, we who weren't accepted have been accepted in Jesus and we praise you today. And Father, thank you for the grace that's greater than all my sin. Thank you for the grace that reaches towards us even now. The grace, Lord, that we all need to experience. God, I pray that you would birth faith. That you would birth hope in hearts right now. To reach for that grace that's available to any and all who call on you today. Lord, help us to understand fully who you are and what you're like, so our lives will be changed. When we leave this place, Father, we'll, we'll have renewed minds. Our lives will be transformed because we've yielded to truth and we've ordered our life to it. And God, I pray that you would enable me, Lord, now to preach. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. And may my words not fall to the ground, Lord. May your word go forth and reach hearts that are plowed and ready to receive truth that can transform our lives. Jesus, we ask all this in your powerful, your precious your holy name. 
And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Just, well, 202 words here. Only one sentence in the Greek marked by phrases that are repeated, some clauses that can be difficult to understand. Paul is offering up a prayer to God. It's a prayer of praise. It's a prayer of celebration of who God is and what God has done. And it's in this form of praise that, that Paul speaks about the grace that has been bestowed on you and on me. And over and over again, he's going to talk about God who is working according to the good pleasure of His will. All work, always working to the praise of His glory. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all three of the members of the Godhead. All of them working in unison in many ways to bring us, to help you and I, to experience God's amazing grace. And God is gracious towards us. Paul starts with the Father and he says, listen, realize this. The grace of God, the gracious God has selected us. He chose us. He starts right there in, in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's going to now list all of those blessings. And he starts right there in verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. God chose you. God chose me. God chooses believers. And we choose him because he chose us. Before the foundation of the world. Think about that for a moment. Before God flung the stars from his fingertips. Before he dug out the place where the oceans would go in the earth. Before God heaped up all that dirt and made a mountain. Before God filled all of creation with the flora, with the fauna, and all the creatures who would swim through the air or swim through the water, all the creatures that would roam upon the earth before he even made man in the Garden of Eden, God chose us before the foundation of that. That's why in Revelation it will say Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Before there was a world, before there was space and time, God chose us. It's pretty significant when you stop and think about it. That God would choose us. And what's amazing is when you see in the Old Testament how God chose Abram. Out of all those people he could have chosen, he, he graced Abram. And he graced the, the people of Israel as he chose them to be his chosen nation. So too the church is in a similar, similar position that Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're, we're a chosen nation just like the nation Israel. God had to choose us. He, we, we wouldn't be looking for him. We wouldn't choose him unless his grace had first chosen us. And before there was a, a world, God chose us. Now, we have to be on guard, not be too prideful and say, God chose me, but not thee. No, that's not what grace would say. Grace responds and realizes how, how gracious God has been. We didn't deserve this. We didn't earn it. There was nothing that God said, oh, that's the apple of my eye right there. I'm going to choose that one. That's how we choose things, but not God. He chose us, and He chose us, and He chose us specifically before the foundation of the world to be in Christ. That we would be something specific. That we would be holy, and we would be blameless. God's desire was to choose a people that would be just like Him. In fact, that's what's required to be in heaven. As your Father is perfect, so must you be perfect. And God chose you and I to be that. That's what grace does. Grace isn't a license to sin. Grace leads us to holiness. Grace leads us to blamelessness. And, and, and that's only possible because of the love of God that He has shown us in Christ Jesus. 
God thought it. Jesus is the one who brought it to us. And the Spirit is the one, is the one who said, who wrought it. Who made it possible for your heart and my heart to choose Him in a response to His choosing of us. I don't believe that God chooses some to be lost and some to be saved. I believe what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, that God's desire is that all men come to the knowledge of the truth. The truth of what? That God is God and we're not. That, that we're desperate, we're in need to be saved. To come to the realize that Jesus is the only way of salvation. And to realize that you come responding to His gracious gift that He extends towards us. I believe what Peter says over in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. That the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Repentance is a choice. It's a turning away from sin and turning to God, realizing He's been reaching to you and to me the whole time. Reaching towards us. You see, God chose us. And being chosen, it says, Paul would go on and he'd say, He's predestined us to adoption. Now, so many people see that word predestined, they go, oh. Can't preach about, oh, be careful. Listen, whenever that word is used, whether it's here, whether it's in Romans chapter 8, it, it's, it's for assurance for the believer. That the God who chose us is going to see that there's a work that happens in your life and my life that's going to be accomplished. We're, we're set on a path to be adopted as the children of God. We are predestined in that way. From eternity, from eternity past, God has had this plan, and He has had a plan that He will bring to pass, a plan for His saved people. And there's an assurance that we can have that the God who chose us had a plan. He's going to work it out, as Romans chapter 8 will tell us, that He'll justify us, He'll sanctify us, He'll glorify us, He'll work all those things out. He's put you and put me on a path to become part of His family. How do you become part of his family? Well, you're born again. But you're also adopted. That's what he emphasizes here. That we've been predestined to adoption as sons of God. It doesn't say predestined to regeneration. It says predestined to adoption. Why? What is adoption? Adoption in the Bible says that's the status we have whereby we are made the children of God. We are legally recognized to be the children of God. And when do you know who the children of God are and, when the, and who aren't the children of God? Well, according to Paul in Romans chapter 8, that happens at the resurrection. When we're resurrected and we have our glorified bodies. And, and according to Paul there in Romans chapter 8, those who are in the family of God have a groaning within them, just as creation is groaning, realizing the effects of sin all throughout this creation, all throughout my body, and realizing, yearning, longing, I want to be set free. Do you this morning? It's grace that sets us free. It's grace that chose us. It's grace that predestined us to this position so that we might be adopted one day and that we might be recognized as the people of God. Being born again puts us in, the, in position in Christ. We are born again and, and we are placed in Christ. But it's being adopted that gives us all the privileges that we have in Christ as the children of God. We celebrate that. We recognize that. That is God's grace reaching to you and reaching to me. And we haven't experienced all the privileges that are ours in Christ. There's coming a day. Praise the Lord, there's coming a day when Christ will return and we will get our glorified bodies and one day we'll enjoy all that God has been preparing for us. And we'll enjoy it forever with Him. Never to see it tainted by sin, tarnished by sin. Never to see sorrow or sadness, sickness or death. Never to see any of that. What a day that will be. A glorious day. 
When the gracious God who chose us, who predestined us, adopts us into his family and we're recognized as the children of God. And one day, praise God, it's this grace that accepts us. And it's the praise of the glory, verse 6, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. This is part of his plan. This is what God was doing when he chose us. This is what he's predestined us to, to, to put us in Christ and to accept us. What that means is once we weren't acceptable. Do you realize that? Or as Paul would say later in Ephesians, over in chapter 2, would say we were once children of doom. We were once children of darkness. We were once children of destruction. We had no hope. But God, who is rich in mercy. Praise God. We get mercy next week. I need it today too. Amen. We need grace. We need mercy. It's all there for us. This is the reason why we should sing, why we should shout, why there should be a celebration that we who were separated have become acceptable to Him. In Jesus. In Him. In the Beloved One. In the One who died for us. In fact, this is what Christ prayed for you and for me. He said over in John chapter 17, in his high priestly prayer, when he prayed to the Father, he said, Father, just as you and I are one, I pray that they too will be made one with us. That we all will be made perfect in perfect unity. Stop and think about that. When God made man, he experienced that in the garden. He and Adam had a little conversation. They walked together. They talked together. They experienced the shalom, the wholeness, the oneness that God had made man for. And yet sin disrupted that. Sin destroyed that. Sin broke that bond. But what Jesus has come to do, the second Adam, is to put us back in right relationship to be accepted to God and have union and fellowship and communion with him. And beloved, that isn't something we're waiting for in heaven. It's something that grace enables now for us to enjoy. I mean, listen, if we walk in the light of season and light, then we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ's Son cleanses us from all sin, right? That's what John says in his epistle. Your life, my life, should be marked by that longing for union, that desire for communion with God. It isn't he's knocking on the door trying to get in. No, he's already in and I'm celebrating it. Each and every day by His grace. Praise God. He's gracious, the Father. But not just the Father. Paul can't stop writing. He can't stop thinking. He can't stop praising God. He's got a a little comma. Here we go. Sentence keeps going. And he says, no, it's not just the Father. It's also the Son. In verses 7 through 10, he celebrates what Jesus has done in gracing us. The gracious God selected us, but also the gracious God saved us. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Now, if I was going to circle any words in my Bible right here, I would underline redemption. I would underline forgiveness. I would underline the riches of His grace. Why? Because, beloved, God saved us. And when He saved us, He redeemed us. That word for the the redemption we He have uh, is, is a very important word. John Newton would understand this because he was a slave trader. He knew about the slave trade. He knew what it meant for someone to be in chains. He had put them on his ship many times. He had seen them bought and sold in slavery. He even, his life got so low, he once was a servant to the slave traders. He understood this life. That's why when he wrote Amazing Grace and he celebrated what God has done for him in the Amazing Grace, it was worth shouting about. That's why we still sing about it and shout about it. Man, your chains can be gone. That's the picture. 
No longer does slay the sin Treat you and I like a, a horrible taskmaster to have dominion over us. We can be set free. It doesn't reign and rule in my life anymore. I reign and rule. Listen, not me. Christ reigns and rule in me, through me, over that sin. And I don't have to be in, in, in its bondage anymore. Those chains that easily trip me up. And I can lay that stuff aside and run the race of faith now. Why? Because Christ has paid the penalty to set me free. You see that redemption, notice this, don't run past it. It's redemption through his blood. Why his blood? Why did he have to shed his blood? Well, what's the wages of sin? The wages of sin is death. Somebody has to pay the penalty. What's the penalty? Death. Shedding of blood. Where did Christ shed his blood? Calvary. We celebrated it last week at Easter, right? A celebration, a reminder that without the remission of sins, as the writer of Hebrews say, there, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. The, the wages of sin is death. Somebody has to pay that penalty. And Jesus graciously has provided that for you and for me. God, as Christ does that for you and for me, he, he spills his blood so that God can be both just and justifier, as we learned last week in Romans chapter 3, so that he can extend his grace to us and show us his mercy through his blood. But that's not all. It isn't just that we've been redeemed. The, we have now the forgiveness of sins. That word's important too. And John Newton would understand that as well. The picture there is, listen, my sin, your sin, is not just something that the penalty's been paid on the cross. Check this out. The power of it in your and my life no longer is to be present. Jesus has taken that and separated it from us as far as east is from the west. John would know his maps and he would so he could look and go, well, these two things never meet. Hey, John would know this too. It's like it's put on a ship and God blew with the sails and went, go that way. Sin is gone. Or it's plunged in the depths of the sea, as the psalmist would say, right? And who's going to dredge it up? Who's going to pull it up? God doesn't. Why do we? In other words, here's the beautiful picture here. Not just am I saved from the penalty of my sin, but I don't have to carry the guilt of it, my past. We can all look back in our past and go, man, there's some things I really regret in life. Amen? But see, when you and I bring our sin to him and we say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I want that gracious gift that Christ has for me. My sin, I no longer have to carry it around. It's, it, it's paid for. The penalty is paid for. And it's put in the ground. Jesus died. He was buried. And beloved, we got no right to be digging that up. It's awesome. And I love, you know, I love the old hymns of the faith. They're great. I love some of the new songs too, especially, you know, when NF sings with flame about start over, you say, the preacher listens to rap? Yeah, the good ones. Yeah. When they preach the word, man, they're street preachers. That's all they're doing. And particularly there when they preach Psalm 103 and they just walk through the scriptures and how you can start over. No matter where you're at today, you can start over. If you're backslidden, you can start over. You act like you got no hope, you can start over. That's our God. That's His grace. Freely given. There's no one here beyond His reach of grace this morning. And He's reaching to you. Why wouldn't we grab it? I want it. Can I have it? And it's amazing. This grace saves us and sets us free. There's a beautiful picture over in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus 16. If you just want to write it in the margin of the Bible, you can go read it later. Leviticus 16. 
On that day of atonement, Yom Kippur, the day when, when the nation came in brokenness and humility before God and cried out for their sins, it'd be really healthy, healthy for America to do that. Amen? <clears throat> to recognize we need God's mercy and grace. Well, they, what the priest would do is he had two goats that were brought. And one goat, he would come and he'd put his hand on the head of that goat and he would confess the sins of the people. He would confess the sins of the nation. And then he would reach inside his belt, pull out a knife and slit the throat of that goat. And he'd take a basin and start catching all that blood because it goes everywhere. And he'd catch that blood and then they would offer that, that goat as a sacrifice. And that blood, he'd go into the Holy of Holies where he could only go on one day of the year. And only the high priest. And he'd go in and he went in with the, the prayers of God's people before him. Because if he didn't, there's a, there's a holy God in there who can't wink at sin. And, 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 and there on the mercy seat, he'd begin throwing that blood, sprinkling that blood. And crying out for God's mercy and grace. And then he'd come back out and there's another goat. He, of course, he, he puts his hand on that goat and he confesses the sins of the people. And, and that goat, he isn't slaughtered. That goat is led away by someone out into the wilderness. And, and, and he's let go way out there, never to come back again. Why? Because he's the scapegoat. He's a picture of what God does with our sin. Separates it. Praise the Lord this morning. Amen. We should celebrate that. Sin doesn't have to have dominion in my life anymore. The penalty's been paid. The power's been broken. Praise God, we can be free. And we should live that way. And see, not only that grace saves us, that grace illumines our mind and helps us to have understanding. It enlightens us, as he says here in verses 8 through 10, that now you and I, because we've come to Jesus, and Jesus has chosen us, and we've chosen him, and now we're the people of God, that grace of God now opens your mind to help you and help me understand with all wisdom and prudence to think and to know the mystery of his will and what God is doing and what he has purposed in himself. That God's desire is to bring everything back to him and to make all things one. It's the way it was when he made man. It's what he enjoyed with man. But now the second Adam, Jesus, is the one who brings us who were far away back to him. And it's through his gracious work that that is possible. And so we celebrate that. God is gathering all things together in Christ. So that in the fullness of time, as he gathers all things together, they will be one. Both in heaven and on earth. You see, God is opening you, our minds and helping us understand. Now that we have Jesus, we have the key that unlocks everything that's happening around us. Do you ever wonder what's happening in this world? It's crazy, isn't it? And you wonder, man, what's going to happen in this world? I'll tell you what's going to happen in this world. If you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is what you and I understand right now. Everything ultimately is going to end up at His feet. Everything ultimately is going to end up at His feet. Either you bend your knee now and you acknowledge that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, or one day, whether in heaven or on earth or under the earth, you're going to confess Jesus is the Lord of lords. Now, for some, that will mean we've been redeemed. For others, that will mean we rejected that redemption. And we suffer the consequences of that choice. And what God is doing right now, His desire is to bring all things together. There's coming a day, beloved. Praise God, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be a day where we won't war with one another. We won't fight with one another. But we'll live in harmony, in perfect peace, under the scepter of righteousness of Jesus. There's coming a day when man and animals will dwell together and live in harmony. The lamb will lay down with the lion. The, the child will play with the cobra. That day is coming. 
Or as Habakkuk would say, the whole earth then will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just as the waters cover the sea. It's coming. Do you believe that? That's what we're living for. We're looking for. We're hoping for. Our lives are being transformed by the grace of Almighty God. When will it happen? When Christ returns. Praise the Lord. You see, God who selected us is the God who saved us. And Paul's still not done, y'all. He is having a fit. God, just imagine him shouting, right? Why? Because God, the gracious God, secures us. That's what he says here in verses 11 through 14. In him we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That's actually the third time he said God's working out his plan, y'all. His counsel, his will, what he's planned a long time ago. Long before any of us were here, anything was here. God planned it. And, and, and we, what his plan was, is that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee or earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Beloved, the God who saved us is the God who selected us. And the God who selected us, his choice, what he wants to have happen, is that your faith and my faith be secure in him. Not in us, in him. And he's, he's secured us in an, in an empowering way, in an enriching way. He has given us a guarantee, an earnest, as it says in verse 14. You and I have received from God a down payment. We have the Spirit of God within us. Now, we've already learned that. As we've been walking through the scriptures and we've been learning about who our God is and studying the nature of him, we know that it's his divine power that has given us all things that we need for life and godliness. Through the true knowledge of Him. That divine power, the Spirit of Almighty God, dwells within us. That divine power is now present within us. It's God's, listen, here's my little guarantee. Here's my little earnest money. Here's my little, this is proof that you're mine and I'm yours. And, and, and praise God, we've been enriched in that way. The riches of His grace are not merely that we've been saved. The riches of His grace are not merely that we will be saved. The riches of His grace are something we experience even right now as His Spirit dwells within us and we celebrate it each and every day. And we need to celebrate that. And, and not just that He's enriched us, we are sealed. This is the Spirit of promise. God has made a transaction when they made a when they sealed something back then, this isn't like a seal on your gasket, okay? All right? Or a seal on a mason jar. The seal here has the picture of a legal transaction. When, when something was sealed, yes, it's true. Listen, we are in the palm of the Father, amen, and no one can pluck us out, as Jesus said, and we are sealed with the Spirit. It's almost like nobody can pull us out of his hand. That is certainly true because we don't hold on to him, he holds on to us. Amen. The seal, though, here, listen, when they sealed things, they had hot wax, and the king had his little signet ring, and, and he'd stick it in that hot wax, and, and that seal that was put on, on some document or on some legal transaction, what that said is, listen, this is a legal transaction that has taken place, and there is new ownership of what's ever within this document. And, and that means there's security because the one who has sealed that is going to see to it that whatever was promised actually takes place. God's pledged himself to us. Wow, it's like covenant. It's what we're celebrating. 
Beloved, he's ours and we're his. Praise God, always it shall be. We may be faithless, but he is faithful. Always. Praise God this morning. And you rest your head on your pillow at night and you don't wake up in the morning going, I wonder if he'll still love me. I wonder if I'll still be his. I wonder if if he'll take his spirit from me. No, we're sealed, secure, safe. Praise God this morning. Now listen, does that mean now that we've been graced in that way, we go out and, woo, let's sin? No, of course not. No, 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 no. In gratitude, I'm grateful. He's mine. I'm his. Praise God. I need to live in a way that brings glory to his name. Because see, the work that he's begun is going to be completed. The Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance, the inheritance that we've obtained in in him in verse 11. Beloved, we've been enriched. And the riches aren't money. The riches aren't land. The riches are God. That's what he's given us himself. It's just the nearness of my God that is now my good. That's what we need to realize. And all of that is now ours. And and the guarantee of that inheritance, as it says in verse 14, he is the spirit of promise. And that is going to happen until the day of redemption of this purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Beloved, there is one day when God will complete the gracious work that he has begun. That word until means it's yet to happen. But it's going to happen. You know why? Because God said so. And what God said in his word, we take to the bank. And God is reminding us that, listen, I am guaranteeing this. I have pledged myself to you. You belong to me. We belong to him. And let that sink in. God has graced us. You see, if I'm a believer today and I realize this, I do not turn that grace into a license to sin. How can I? I I say, thank you, God. This is unmerited favor. I didn't earn this. I didn't deserve it. I won't do something now and earn more of the grace. God just freely gives it. An amazing God. Why wouldn't I long to worship him? Why wouldn't I long to serve him? Why wouldn't I long to share that wonderful truth with others? You see, that grace is amazing. John says it's deep, it's wide. John Newton, that is. That that the length of it, the height of it, it, the depth of it, it saves a wretch like me. Like you. Like anyone out there who will call on the name of the Lord. It doesn't just save us like a wretch. It takes us up to the, to the glories of heaven. It teaches us to fear God. To reverence Him. It, it goes out in every circumstance that we face. That grace that saves us, sustains us in the midst of trials. When we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. When we walk through the valley of weeping. Through many dangers, toils, and snares. I have already come. And it'll get us home. In fact, it'll last forever and ever. Because when we've been there 10,000 years by shining as the sun, we'll no less days to sing His praise than when we first begun. That day's coming. Now see, you take a minute and you consider that and you think about just how awesome His grace is. Am I living like that? Have I peered into the Word of God today and seen the God who's been gracious to me and now in gratitude? God, I just want to praise you and thank you. I want my life to be a life of thanksgiving for all you are and all that you've done for me. And if you're an unbeliever today, that grace can save you. You have to take a step of faith. You have to say, that's me. I need someone to save me from my sin. I know I'm a sinner. I've thought bad things. I've said bad things. I've done bad things against God. I thought I could be good enough. And the realization is I can't be good enough because God requires perfection. But I see Jesus who died on a tree and paid the penalty for my sin. And I want to put my trust in him. And I want my life to be made new. God, I yield and I surrender to you. I'm broken over sin. 
I'm broken. The Spirit has convicted me and I realize I turn. Jesus, be my Savior and my Lord. 